listening to community-supported radio, KVMR, FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino Placerville, and it's time for the Thursday edition of KVMR's Evening News. For their support, we'd like to thank California Solar Electric Company, a locally owned solar cooperative. California Solar Electric Company is a SunPower Elite dealer designing and installing residential home battery storage, and commercial solar systems in Nevada County since 2000. Information, californiasolarco.com. And Hola Tortilla, offering homemade organic tortillas and tamales utilizing locally sourced ingredients, serving Taco Tuesdays to go with vegetarian, grasshopper, or carnitas tacos, plus imported food products, Wasaka, Mexico, next to Food and Juice, Nevada City, holotortilla.com, and Mailboxes Plus, offering curbside mailing and packaging services for the holidays, shipping with all major carriers for timely gift arrivals. Located in the BNC shopping area, Grass Valley, Mailboxes Plus, GV.net. After NPR headlines and local weather, I'll be speaking with Christine Kelly with Nevada County. And she's going to be talking about the business relief fund that has just been established. Also, we'll have this week's edition of Brave Hearts and and a special report from NPR on presidential pardons. Closing out today's newscast, we'll have an essay by Molly Fisk. At 6.30, we'll be broadcasting Making Contact and at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. But first, NPR headlines followed by regional weather. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. New highs in terms of both deaths and hospitalizations as the coronavirus pandemic shows signs of a major resurgence in the U.S. with more than 100,000 hospitalizations and more than 3,100 deaths in a single day. Healthcare providers in some areas of the country are being stretched to the limit. In an interview with NPR today, U.S. Surgeon General Jerome Adams warned of tough times to come. Please understand, it's going to be rough over the next several weeks, but the actions that we take today, tomorrow, and in the coming weeks will help us get to a vaccine, and it is critically important that you limit exposure outside your household, that you wear a mask, and know that we can get through this. There is a reason for hope if we stick together. According to the Johns Hopkins Coronavirus Research Center, the U.S. now has had more than 14 million confirmed coronavirus infections, more than 275,000 Americans infected by the virus who developed COVID-19 have died. President-elect Joe Biden is asking Dr. Anthony Fauci to lead the incoming administration's coronavirus team. NPR's Windsor Johnston reports Biden had his first conversation with the nation's top infectious disease expert today as the U.S. surpassed 14 million confirmed infections. President-elect Biden says he's asked Dr. Fauci to serve as chief medical advisor to the new administration's coronavirus team and remain in his current role at the National Institutes of Health. In an interview with CNN, Biden also said he'll follow Fauci's lead when it comes to getting vaccinated. People have lost faith in the ability of the vaccine to work, and it matters what a president and a vice president do. Once it's declared to be safe, 
then obviously we take it. And it's important to communicate to the American people it's safe. Biden says he plans to ask Americans to wear masks for 100 days when he takes office. He said he'll also order facial coverings to be worn in federal buildings and in transportation facilities. Windsor Johnston, NPR News. The stock market rally lost steam today following a report of supply problems with Pfizer's new coronavirus vaccine. More from NPR's Scott Horsley. The Wall Street Journal says Pfizer will produce only half as many doses of its vaccine this month as had been planned, though the company still expects to deliver more than a billion doses next year. The supply chain hiccups took some of the shine off a market rally. The Dow rose just three-tenths of a percent for the day, while the broader S&P 500 index closed slightly lower. Boeing shares jumped nearly 6% on news that Irish discounter Ryanair will order 75 of the company's 737 MAX jets. The planes were grounded for more than a year and a half after a pair of deadly crashes. Ryanair's order is a vote of confidence in both Boeing's fixes and future demand for air travel after the pandemic. Scott Horsley, NPR News, Washington. Taking a look at those numbers, the Dow was up 85 points. The Nasdaq rose 27 points. The S&P 500 closed down 2 points. This is NPR. There's been a big shift in the movie world. Warner Brothers announcing all its movies expected in 2021 will be released simultaneously in theaters as well as streaming on HBO Max. It comes after the reduced capacity and closure of many movie theaters due to the coronavirus pandemic. More from NPR's Andrew Limbaugh. For a month starting the same day they come out in theaters, movies such as In the Heights, The New Space Jam, and Dune will now be available in 4K Ultra HD and HDR in your home on HBO Max. In a statement, Warner Brothers CEO Ann Sarnoff says nobody wants films back in theaters more than they do, but we have to balance this with the reality that most theaters in the U.S. will likely operate at a reduced capacity throughout 2021. Movie theaters have been hit hard by the coronavirus pandemic. Regal Cinemas temporarily closed all its 536 locations in October. Warner Brothers says this arrangement is only supposed to last for one year. Andrew Limbong, NPR News. Health authorities in Canada say they could approve Pfizer's coronavirus vaccine within the next week, allowing distribution of the vaccine to begin there early next year. While Canadian health officials say deals have been signed with seven different manufacturers, they say the first decision made would be on the vaccine developed by Pfizer and German partner BioNTech. Similar to the U.S., Canada is grappling with a second wave of coronavirus infections. Crude oil futures prices moved higher today after OPEC agreed to back off somewhat on production cuts. Crude oil futures up 36 cents a barrel to end the session at 45.64 a barrel in New York. I'm Jack Spear, NPR News. And now let's take a look at weather in our region. First, here in the Grass Valley, Nevada City area, looks like low of 45 tonight, high of 63 tomorrow, mostly sunny all week with highs in the low to mid-60s. No rain in sight. In Sacramento, low of 36, high of 66, mostly sunny through Wednesday with highs in the mid and upper 60s. And Truckee, low of 16 tonight, high of 50 tomorrow, partly sunny through Monday, no rain or snow in the forecast with highs generally in the low 50s. Welcome to this edition of Bravehearts. 
where we hope to increase your awareness and understanding of what homelessness looks like and some of the many organizations working on solutions to improve the homeless crisis. We are your hosts, William Wallace and Betty Louise, and these are the Bravehearts. Hello, this is Betty Louise, and I am here with Jesse, who has quite a story and a journey in the homeless community, and so I'm excited about him sharing a bit of it with you. I know if there's anybody out there that's trying to get out of homelessness, which I'm sure everybody is, I would hope everybody is, some people want to be homeless. They don't care about having a place to live or, or a roof over their heads, and they're happy doing what they do, and I was in that position. I'm on the fence right now, even. Hey, today I have a home. Tomorrow I might not. Still learning. So that's an interesting question about homeless people that want to be homeless. I know that that's a big perception of people in the community. It's like they don't want to have a house. They don't want to have a home. What would you say to somebody who said, yeah, homeless people, they don't want to have a home? It's easy to uh, get used to being homeless. It, it's really good, I think, for the community to know a homeless person, for that matter, or just know where our homeless or what our homeless are doing. It's good to be involved and engaged in anything that helps out, you know. So for me, try to do whatever I can possible to um, to help out, work, to do whatever I can, because that's food in my mouth and food in other people's mouths. I'm very happy for that, and I'm very grateful for that. And with the COVID thing going around, I don't know any homeless people yet that have gotten it or anything of that sort, but I do know that society really doesn't care if any of us get the COVID or anything like that. It's just another, not even another mark on the calendar, I think. It's just, oh, that person got it. Well, too bad. I just try to support my family and support myself and love myself for that matter, which is another hard thing to do because uh, homeless people, eh, it's like, um, I don't love myself. I don't need to love you. So really, I'm still learning stuff. It's just all, you get a lot of different emotions through all of it too, you know, and it's like when you're homeless, you're a person that doesn't want to feel emotions or feelings. And that's basically why you're homeless or I'm homeless, you know, the feelings part for dudes. Yeah. Maybe affectionate, maybe passionate towards some things, but I ain't trying to have a feeling. One thing you need to know about Jesse is he is a giver. He is an empathetic person that sometimes maybe even has has gone overboard with empathy, but he has worked with nonprofits that serve the homeless community here in Nevada County. And, and so I'd love for you to just share the resources you've used and worked with and anything you might have to say there. Being a homeless person, I try not to look like a homeless person, I guess, look like the part, or I try not to play the part as much too, but I am the part, so... What it all comes down to is uh, even though a person might get a home, okay, they're still going to be going through mass transition and mass. I mean, it's like you gotta, you have to learn how to do these things. I have to learn how to do these things. I have to learn how to pay rent. I have to learn how to be responsible. I have to learn how to wake up with my alarm clock <laughs> exactly certain time in order to be somewhere at a certain time. And that's all stuff that, um, I mean, I used to wake up to the birds chirping, go to sleep to the crickets doing their noise or whatever. And it's like, um, it's just different being inside. You know, you don't, you don't hear nature. It's hard to be aware of your surroundings when you're somebody that's consciously aware of their surroundings always. And I want to um, give some shots out to Sierra Roots, who's also supporting us and who also supports the homeless. We have feeds during the week. 
almost every other day. And we have KBMR that's also doing great things for support for the homeless, putting things out on the radio and really being supportive of our programs and things. You see now why we have enrolled him to be our humanities advisor for this project. He is what we call the culture bearer. He understands the culture of homelessness, and he certainly does. So I just want to give you an opportunity to share anything else that might be on your mind. We also hand out shoes and clothes and socks and um, blankets, sleeping bags. Um, We have food also um, on Thursdays at the church across the street from the courthouse in Nevada City. And it's upstairs at 11.30 a.m. on Thursdays. And if you are ever hungry or ever need anything or anything experience homelessness or anything like that, you can always come to our feed, free food. I mean, come on, everybody needs free food. We can do the best to help you out. Thanks so much, Jess. Thank you for joining us today. Our hope is this segment has opened your heart and mind. Be well and be kind. This project was made possible with support from California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Please visit calhum.org. I'm speaking with Christine Kelly. She works with the county in marketing and communication. And uh, Christine, uh, there's a lot of things happening right now. Too many things to cover all in one newscast. But there's, um, uh, I've just been informed that they're launching another fundraising campaign for the Relief Fund. Uh, tell us about this. Yeah, well, there, we, we have a little bit of light, a little bit of light in our in our uh, holidays, I hope. Um, I think the uh, Community Advisory Council of the Nevada County Relief Fund, the group of about seven or eight people, came together a few weeks ago after the state, after we got the purple tier order and said, you know, what can we do going into the holiday season to help out our small business community? Um, and sort of sparked by a $25,000 gift that we received from actually the Community Foundation of Sonoma County. Um, for the work that we've been doing here in Nevada County, um, we decided to go ahead and launch another fundraising campaign. So we're, you know, sort of looking at raising $150,000 through the end of January. And, um, you know, we have an idea about potentially getting, you know, a th- if a thousand people would donate $100, we would easily get there. Um, you know, we have all of these, all, you know, all of our retailers and our restaurants that have been, you know, doing so well trying to keep their uh, staff and our community safe, we really want to try to help them in any way we can um, and at least um, bridge, you know, be a bridge until um, we can get things back to some sense of normalcy. I noticed that this round is uh, specifically for small businesses, um, not nonprofits. So why is that? Yeah, the last three rounds that we've done have all been split relatively equally between the small business community and the nonprofit community. But right now, the nonprofit community is actually sort of going into their own, um, you know, sort of end of year fundraising. Uh, we just had Giving Tuesday, which I think was very successful for some of them, and um, and they all sort of launch into in November into their year end campaigns. So what we've been hearing from the nonprofit community is like, we're, we're doing okay. You know, people are really supporting us. It's 
pretty rare that you get to donate to a small business, um, or, or you know, you can you can of course be a patron of a small business, but um, to just donate to the concept of, of local small, um, you know, mom and pop, brick and mortar retailers, restaurants here in our community that are trying so hard to, uh, to make it to make a go of it. Um, those are the folks that I think that are are suffering the hardest right now, and so we want to focus our efforts specifically for them. So what is the goal of this campaign? Well, you know, we have a financial goal, which is the $150,000 by the end of January, and we've raised so far, you know, in our public-private partnership, we've raised close to $800,000, over $790,000 since we started this in May. So, you know, we have a track record. We're doing really great with raising funds. Um, and then we're also looking, you know, we talk about bringing a bridge to when we get back to normalcy, but potentially there is going to be a federal relief package that will be coming again, and hopefully we'll have even more money that we can contribute to that. But we've got to start somewhere, so that's where we're starting, and um, and we just are really encouraging folks who, you know, who aren't feeling comfortable going out to a restaurant, you know, donate to the, donate to the fund and, um, or, you know, a night out, take a night out, what you would spend on a night out and donate to that fund or what you might um, do as a family, you know, sort of gift, um, give it to the, the Nevada County Relief Fund and let's help out some of our local small businesses. So when will applications uh, be open for this? We're hoping that the applications will be open for the business community by December 15th, but we wanted to get started with the fundraising as soon as possible. So we launched our fundraising campaign today. And how long uh, uh, are you going to be working on, on this and to meet the goal? Well, you know, we one of the things that we, um, you know, a lot of times there was the idea of, of setting it up to the end of December, but we've talked a lot about, you know, what what happens post-holiday season, which is when it's, it's actually, you know, really the toughest time um, in our community anyway, in our retail community, certainly in our restaurant community, is after the holidays. So we're looking to extend it in, you know, into January. Um, hopefully by that time we'll have some federal relief coming down, and what the county has done um, has also um, sort of uh, given us some pass-through funds from the last CARES Act funding. You know, we're hoping that if there's another round of federal relief, we'll have we'll have more money to add to that um, and be able to really distribute a significant amount of money um, if we get some more CARES Act funding as well. So, where can people go to get more information on this? We have a great website, and uh, it's nevcorelief.org. So it's pretty easy, N-E-V-C-O-Release.org. Um, and you'll see on the landing page talks a little bit about what, you know, what we're doing with this campaign. Very easy to donate, very safe to donate. Um, but if you don't feel like uh, donating online, um, our fiscal sponsor is actually the Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital Foundation. Um, and you can write a check to the hospital foundation with a note that it is for the relief fund, and it will absolutely make it. To, um, to our campaign. It's been amazing to watch our local businesses and how gallant they are and just trying to stay open and stay viable. Um, it's pretty inspiring to me. It's incredibly inspiring to all of us, too. And, I, you know, I, 
I also want to put a big shout out to also the service organizations like the Grass Valley Downtown Association and Marnie Marshall, what she's done and how the chambers have pulled together, um, you know, through this and are trying so hard to support all of the businesses in our community. I and mean, we were very lucky that in our last round, we were able to, to also fund um, the, the Truckee um, downtown Association and the Grass Valley Downtown Association because those are the folks that, you know, sort of can help people even exponentially. So um, hats off to all of the people who are working so hard to keep us safe and um, hopefully sound as we get through all of this, sound of mind, sound of mind and sound of body. Um, it's, you know, we just, we, we wouldn't be the same community without our our amazing small businesses and too many to, to list. Also hats off to uh, all the folks at Nevada County and Nevada County government who have just been amazing in, in coming up with ideas. You know, this is my um, first go-round in working with um, the county government. I started back in um, June, and I have never been so in awe and so um, grateful to have such incredible representation. And I don't know that our community gets to see that, you know, so the, the behind-the-scenes work that's being done in our public health department and the CEO's office. Um, I'm really just so uh, so impressed. And grateful that we have such incredible um, representation in in our county government. So, yeah, big thanks to them, too. Well, Christine, uh, thanks very, very much for speaking with KVMR. And if you have any news that comes along, just let us know. Okay. Thanks so much, Paul. Take care. Stay well. I've been speaking with Christine Kelly, and we've been talking about the new uh, relief fund that has just been launched. Next up, this special report from N Special Report. President Trump's made it clear that he's willing to use his pardon power to help out a political ally or friend. Just look at the full pardon he granted his first national security advisor, Michael Flynn, last week. All of this has fueled speculation that Trump may issue a flurry of pardons to allies and friends before he leaves office on January 20th. And NPR Justice correspondent Ryan Lucas is here to talk about it. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Ari. What do you expect we'll see in the next few weeks? Well, there's certainly an expectation that Trump will use his pardon power again before he leaves office. Presidents do traditionally issue pardons in the waning days of their administration. Sometimes those pardons are controversial. Uh, Bill Clinton, for example, issued uh, a last-minute pardon to the fugitive financier Mark Rich. That led to a federal investigation. But Trump stands out for his willingness to grant pardons to political allies or to people that he knows. Michael Flynn, who you mentioned is just the latest example. Remember, earlier in his term, Trump pardoned former Maricopa County Sheriff Joe Arpaio. He pardoned conservative author Dinesh D'Souza. Uh, and he commuted the sentence of his longtime friend, Roger Stone. Who's angling for a pardon now? Well, Flynn and Stone were both charged as part of special counsel Robert Mueller's Russia investigation. The president, of course, has made clear his disdain for that probe, so he could pardon others who were ensnared in it. One of those, of course, would be uh, his former campaign chairman, Paul Manafort. He was convicted of bank and tax fraud. He pleaded guilty to conspiracy as well. Manafort agreed to cooperate with special counsel, but then Mueller's team said Manafort lied to them repeatedly. 
Uh, Rick Gates is another person convicted as part of the Russia investigation. He was a key witness for the Mueller team, uh, although Gates told me he doesn't think that should rule him out from Trump's consideration. Uh, Gates says neither he nor his lawyers have been in touch with the White House about a possible pardon, but he says he would happily accept one. I absolutely believe the pardons would be warranted. It's the president's decision ultimately, but I'm hopeful and would certainly be grateful if he were to issue one. Uh, And then there is one other person who might be considered. That is George Papadopoulos, a foreign policy advisor to the 2016 Trump campaign who pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI. Those people are all tied to the Russia investigation. Who else in President Trump's orbit might face legal peril and might be eligible for a pardon? Well, Trump's former chief White House strategist, Steve Bannon, has been indicted in New York on charges of fraud. Uh, Bannon and three other men are accused of defrauding people who donated to an online campaign uh, to raise money for a southern border wall. And, of course, there is the president's personal attorney, attorney, Rudy Giuliani. He was under investigation in New York where prosecutors were looking at some of his business dealings and his activities in Ukraine. He has not been charged. He says he's done nothing wrong. The New York Times reported this week that Giuliani has discussed a possible pardon for himself with Trump. I asked Giuliani about that today via text message. Uh, However, he did not respond. And there's also a question of the president pardoning his children preemptively or even himself. Is that possible? Uh, First off, I have to make clear that neither the president nor his children have been charged with any federal crime. Uh, That said, the president's pardon pardon power uh, is in the Constitution, and it's broad. Uh, The classic example of a preemptive pardon is President Ford's pardoning of Richard Nixon. Nixon had resigned from office, but he hadn't been charged with any crimes. Now, when it comes to the president pardoning himself, that's a trickier matter. Trump has claimed he has the power to do so. That said, no president has ever pardoned uh, himself, and legal experts say that this really is an open legal question. NPR Justice correspondent Ryan Lucas, thank you. Thank you. You are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR, FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino Placerville, and this is the Thursday edition of KVMR's Evening News. KVMR's news program airs Monday through Friday, 6 to 6.30 p.m. Coming up at 6.30 this evening, we have this week's edition of Making Contact, and at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Closing out today's newscast, we have Molly Fisk with an essay. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet. My kitty cat face mask, Ear Elastic, is on its last legs. This is a homemade mask someone left in my mailbox with no note and never confessed to, though I thanked her, probably, or him, unlikely but possible, all over social media. The elastic is black and during nine months of steady wear has curled in a sweet way, so it looks like that Christmas ribbon you curl by pulling it fast over the blade of your scissors. It's my favorite mask. It fits It matches much of my clothing. It has a still unbroken nose wire. And when I wash it in the kitchen sink with dish soap every other day, it dries quickly draped over a vase on the windowsill. My second favorite mask is floral, 
red and blue with some white on it, but in no way patriotic, and made by my friend Susanna. She was up and running with mask production about three hours after we were quarantined in March. She used to be a dress designer, had tons of fabric waiting to be used, and managed to find elastic even when the local five and dime ran out, which was soon. Her masks have a pocket into which I have learned to insert a doubled piece of coffee filter for extra safety. I've also learned to take it out before washing, after a few soggy mishaps. I have many other masks, some from Susanna, some N95s left over from fire season last summer, a few random gifts, and I'm sorry to say that, along with my two favorites, I hate them all. I don't want to wear a mask. They fog up my glasses and make it harder to breathe. They itch, they move around, and no one can tell if you're smiling at them, which has been one of the ways I get through the world, so losing it feels alienating. They are funny looking. They attempt to rip out your earrings. They need washing all the time. They are one more thing to remember to take with you. And I'm lucky. My job doesn't require me to wear it all day. A friend has chapped cheeks from eight to ten hours in hers. The whole thing is ridiculous. I'm trying to think of something to compare them to. Not pants. A passerby going commando isn't going to kill you. Maybe gloves in the Antarctic because you could die from frostbite, but your uncovered hands won't give anyone else frostbite. I thought about tampons in terms of annoyance and necessity, but menstruation isn't life-threatening either. Condoms, of course, vis-a-vis AIDS, but there's a measure of specificity in consensual sex that we don't see in grocery store quick lines. Part of the problem is that there isn't a good example, so anti-mask people can wander off into any delusional justification they like. A good example wouldn't necessarily change anyone's mind, I know. I'm just grasping at straws here because I'm so sad and angry and frustrated. I read the blog post yesterday of a nurse in the Midwest whose patients don't believe in COVID-19 even as they're dying from it. They insist they have the flu or pneumonia. She said only intubation quiets their arguments. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast for this evening. KVMR's Evening News airs Monday through Friday, 6 to 6.30 p.m. Coming up next, we have this week's edition of Making Contact and at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Thanks for listening.